Thanks for joining us for a message from Reason Church in Portland, Oregon. We'd be so stoked to hear how this message has impacted your life. You can share your story by going on our website at reasonchurch.com. You can also partner with us financially by going on reasonchurch.com and giving on our Give page. You will be helping people find a reason to live for in Jesus. Would you look with me in uh, the book of Philippians, okay, Philippians, it sounds like Philippines. I remember being a little kid thinking, like, Philippines, what is this? You know, uh, it's, no, it's not the country. It's actually a city in um, Macedonia. I've actually been there, which is kind of cool, but it's called Philippi. And uh, if you look at me in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly the word of life. Then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and that's like a total sacrifice, like laying it all on the line, he says, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm going to be glad and rejoice with you all so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. We've been in a series called Voice Control. And uh, if you've been here, you know, you probably are already used to it. You already know what's going on. You, can, you could probably like preach the first half of my sermon for me. But if you haven't been here, uh, it, the whole premise is basically this, that uh, Forbes magazine said that by 2020, 50% of all internet searches are going to be uh, via voice. That people are using search engines completely via voice. So we're using technology, we're controlling technology with our voices, but I think we can all kind of agree that sometimes it's our voice that's out of control. That we say things we regret, we say things that we shouldn't have said, say things that we wish we shouldn't have said, and sometimes we just blurt things out, and then later you're like, I don't even like that I did that. I don't even wish that I would have said that. And so we're learning how to keep our voices under control. That's the concept. Words matter. And uh, today I'm giving a message I'm calling black holes. Black holes. Now you may be asking yourself, what the heck does weird astrophysics and, and cosmology and way, you know, things out in the universe have anything to do with talking? Well, a black hole is a region in the space-time continuum that has such strong gravitational forces that not even light can escape out of it. Nothing can escape from a black hole. Not even light can come out of it. But here Paul says that if we don't grumble, and we don't complain, and we don't argue, that what will we be? We'll be like stars shining out in the night sky. But what's kind of that mean? It means the opposite of that, that if you do complain... That if you do grumble, what's the opposite of a star shining in the night sky? It's a black hole. It's supernova. And I think I've known some people that not even light can escape out of their life. Like that no light can even reach them. That, 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 I mean, I've been with people where they're on an all-expense-paid vacation, you know, on the Caribbean Sea. I, I, was, I was with a group of people, and, and, and uh, uh, you know, we were honestly on this completely all-expense-paid vacation. None of it cost anything for anyone. And yet they're still complaining the entire time. 
If you're complaining about like your filet mignon, you got another thing coming, my bro. Like you, like you gotta, you gotta check yourself before you wreck yourself. There are people who who can have absolutely the things that that kings don't even experience. I mean, we live better than most people have lived throughout all of the history of the human race, and yet it's so easy to find yourself where you can't even see light because all you see is darkness where the light just gets sucked out of life and you are this black hole. And even though you, you, you may be so fortunate and you may have everything going your way, you might, oh, oh yeah, my jet ski wasn't quite fast enough. You know, I, I wish my jet ski just would have been a little bit faster. It's like, come on, bro, come on. Like, like seriously, think about it. And I don't want to bring like the hammer down on any of you because what I really want to communicate is this, is that I want you to thrive. That there's a better way to live. There's a better way to exist. There's a brighter way to live our lives. There's there's a a way that you could exist. And instead of being something that sucks life and sucks light, you could be something that gives life. That you could be something that gives light. And that's our desire. That's our vision as a church. That we'd be a place that's life-giving. That we'd be a place that's full of genuine joy. Not this fake positive thinking. But, but, but just being people who are authentic. People who are real. And, and, and who see that there really is hope. And that there really is life. And that we could give life to others. Now, a little background on the book of Philippians. Uh, it gives this whole thing a little more weight a little more credibility when you realize the dude who wrote it. Because the dude who wrote it was a guy named Paul. He used to be called Saul. He was a, basically a Jewish jihadist. Okay? He hated Christianity. He hated Jesus. Wanted to s- just slaughter and imprison Christians. He says in one of his letters that he was breathing violence and that he was a violent man. But then he encounters Jesus, who is light, light that is so bright that it blinds him, humbles him, knocks him off of his high horse, literally, and he's transformed. And for the rest of his life, he literally shapes Western civilization. Like, people say that, 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 that the way that we think in the Western world is largely influenced by, by Moses, Paul, and Jesus, that it, that it just radically transformed human history, and he went around preaching this message, and, and he's a big part of the reason why we even know Jesus. But here's the thing. When he writes this, he is in a prison cell that I've actually seen. Okay, I've been to Rome, and I've seen the cell that they believe that he was in at this time, where, where quite possibly there was sewage flowing through the prison cell. He was chained up. Okay, he's, 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 he's in Rome. He's, he's Headed towards his death sentence eventually, uh, some scholars believe that he was actually released for a little while, then he got taken back to Rome and had his head chopped off. But I just got to tell you this, if the dude in handcuffs is writing you a letter telling you not to complain, you best pay attention. You know what I'm talking about? Like, Like if he's telling you like, hey, don't complain, don't argue, because then you'll shine as a light. He might be switched on to something that we should probably listen to. Like, don't you think? Like, he probably must have something happening. Like, he must have something all up in his world that's really changing things. So the first thought that I want to bring to you from this passage is this. Whatever is spoken will spread. Whatever is spoken will spread. You know, picture yourself and you know, you're a modern gentleman or modern gentlewoman and you get on the internet and you're thinking, I want to have a fashion-forward summer. 
So you're doing a little casual Googling for some seersucker suits. Ooh. Or some men's rompers. Yeah, they make them. Men's rompers, all right? You've been Googling it, and, and then all of a sudden, you get on your Instagram page, and there they, they chased you. They followed you. you oh, there's an ad for men's rompers. Oh, you're even like on a Bible website, but there's strange Amazon ads telling you, buy this seersucker suit. The internet's in for you. The internet's gunning for you. Why? Because Google and Facebook and all these big companies, they have an algorithm so that whatever you search for, it's going to show you more. Whatever you search for, it's going to show you more. Whatever you search for, it's going to show you more. You know that your brain is hardwired the exact same way? That psychologists and neuroscientists have discovered that whatever you search for, your brain is going to show you more. Throughout this series, I've told you I was really influenced uh, by by this one particular article that I read at Inc.com. But Stephen Parton says this. We'll put it on the screen for you. It says, the synapses that you fire together, wire together. Having a thought makes it easier to have the thought. Again, this is neuroscience, okay? There's synapses, there's electrical charges, there are chemicals that are shooting inside of your brain when you think, when you speak. But having a thought makes it easier to have the thought again. Repeated negative thoughts make you more likely to have more negative thoughts. They also make it more likely to have negative thoughts while randomly walking down the street. Another way to put it is saying that negativity rewires your brain to have a generally more negative outlook. When you complain, you retrain your brain to complain. When you complain, you retrain your brain to complain. I read other articles talking about how complaining actually fires parts of your brain that release cortisol, which leads to stress-related illnesses, and that complaining will actually shorten your life expectancy. That you will live shorter on account of complaining and negativity and always looking for the problem and always looking for the issue and, 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 and not even providing solutions but just stating it, you know, that's how it is. That, that will actually shorten your life. I've told you the other series that giving a thought a voice gives that thought influence both over you and those around you. You may have a thought. But when you give that thought a voice, you're actually using more parts of your brain, okay? You're, using all kind, you're bringing all kinds of other systems on board. And as you give that thought a voice, you're giving it more influence both, both over yourself and over those around you. In other words, what is spoken will spread. Now, biophysicist Allison Hill from Harvard University uh, recently analyzed all this data from the past, like, 53 years And this biophysicist discovered that depression is actually contagious, just like an infectious disease. While analyzing the data, depression spreads very much in the same way as like foot and mouth disease and the SARS virus. That actually hanging around people who, who, who are constantly talking about negativity, that that will actually spread to you. Now check out what the author of Hebrews has to say. The author of Hebrews says this about the Christian community. It says this, Pursue peace with all people. Everybody say pursue. Chase it. Be relentless. Be like that crazy marathon runner who ran the marathon in like two hours flat a couple weeks ago. All right, Pursue it. Chase it down. Be relentless. 
pursue peace with all. Can everybody say all? All people and holiness, which out with no one will see the Lord, looking carefully. Like be on your guard. Just like you, if, you, if you saw some contagious disease, you'd be like careful. You'd want to run away from it. I don't want to catch that. I don't want to get the bubonic plague. Be on your guard, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up, causing trouble, and by this, many become defiled. Whatever is spoken will spread. Whatever is spoken will spread. When you give your thought a voice, you give it influence both over you and over those around you. Think about it. You can't control necessarily the people you work with. You can't necessarily control the people that you go to school with. You, you, don't, you don't necessarily have a say. You're certain sometimes in situations and you got hired for a job, you didn't expect that it was going to be this toxic work environment. But here's the reality. Who you're with changes who you are. Who you're with changes who you are. And I can't control your work environment. I can't control your family. I can't control your, your, uh, your um, you know, school environment, your family background. I can't control that. But my vision for this church is that this would be a place that is life-giving. That this would be a place that there is a contagious amount of gratitude. That there's a contagious amount of praise. That there is genuine joy. And I'm not talking about this fake mamby-pamby positive thinking like every cloud has its silver lining. But if Jesus is risen from the dead, we have every reason to have hope. If God is restoring the universe and we're on his side, then we have every reason to be solution-centric people. We have every reason. And my vision for this community is that we would be the kind of people that what if our lights were so bright that that we could defy the impossible, we could pull people out of black holes. What What if our joy, what if our outlook, what if our compassion, what if our empathy, what if our kindness was so sincere that we could actually be the ones who are ripping people out of the downward spiral and vortex of which Portland has one of the greatest levels of anxiety and depression in the entire country? What if we could be that kind of place? Don't you think Portland needs that kind of place? I got a text heartbroken from somebody saying that that just this past Friday, somebody leapt off the Burnside Bridge and took their own life. But what if we could give people a reason to live for in Jesus? Don't you want to be a part of that kind of community? Don't you want to be the kind of place that gives people hope? Who you're with changes who you are. And there's a difference between complaining and confiding Obviously, if you're really going through issues, you need to confide in people. But, but, but there's a way to do it, and there's an, a kind of environment where it's just the kind of people, and it just feeds this fire, and the grumbling just swirls down and down and down and down, and you're walking away, and biology and, and, and psychology and neuroscience and the Bible is all telling us that it's contagious, and that when you get that going, you, 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 you think, oh, well, I need to just let it out. Actually, you're, you're adding fuel to the fire. You're making people worse. You're, you're, you're swirling people down into that kind of vortex. But, but that's why we want to do action groups, man. That we would be the kind of community who you're with changes who you are. And so I want to just tell you briefly about the, the action group leaders training <coughs> that's taking place 
And I can't even explain, even for me. I mean, I told you a couple weeks ago how insanely busy I am, uh, that, that I can relate with a lot of you who feel like your careers are just pulling you in all these directions. But I'm telling you, sometimes, actually, I, I heard it said before <laughs> that you won't be drained by what you do for God. You'll be drained by what you don't do for God. And that's the truth. That's the reality. If you make time in your schedule, going to action groups, it's lifting the burden. I thought adding one more thing to my schedule would make my schedule worse. But actually, we added Thursday night action groups. And I tell you, the burden's gotten lighter because you have people sharing the load. You have people coming out underneath you. And you feel like, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Hey, who you're with changes who you are. If you come with people who all have the same vision that we're going to be this life-giving culture, that we're not going to be these mamby-pamby gloss over everything, everything's perfect, but, but, but that we want to be people who, who are solution-centric people, who lift each other's loads, man, you will be glad for this. i got a couple other photos. Or actually, I'll just let Eric roll through them during the announcements. But, well, what should I do? Do you want to see him now or later? It's your choice. Just choose your own adventure at church. You guys, I, hey, all right, I'll let Eric do it. But, but we do awesome stuff with action groups beyond just meeting in homes. We also do epic things in the city because this city needs hope. But uh, all right, so the first thing is whatever is spoken will spread. Next thought is this. Don't ventilate, reevaluate. Don't ventilate, reevaluate. You should write this verse down. Okay, Proverbs 29.11 says this. He who vents his emotions is a fool but a wise man holds them back. Okay, let's leave that there for a second. I'll be real. When I read this one, I was kind of like, I don't know about that one. Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I kind of don't buy it. Like everything I've ever heard tells me that vent, you got to just vent. You got to just let it out. Get it out, man. Let it out. You know what I kind of read? It, I'm like, no, man, it's, it's therapeutic. Venting is therapeutic. Venting feels good. It feels great. I was like, Jesus, you're wrong on this one, bro. I know venting's good for me. Holding it back, you can't suppress it. Well, it's true, you can't suppress it. But you know what's interesting? As I started doing a little bit more research, I read this article, blew my mind in Time Magazine, where it was talking about anger and it was talking about emotions. And here are these psychologists, neuroscientists, I'm always quoting these guys, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I'm just taken aback as it actually said these words in this article. said this, venting snowballs the emotion. And that actually talking about an angry situation has been clinically proven to make you more angry. And that it's been clinically proven rather than diminishing the emotion, that venting and talking about it snowballs it and it grows larger and larger. And and this article said that it was like dumping gasoline on the fire. See, don't ventilate. I got to go vent to my girlfriend. I got to go vent to my best friend. I got to go vent to this person. That actually talking about an angry situation makes you more angry. But you know what the article also said? It said... And said, you can't suppress it, though, because if you suppress it, that'll make you more angry in a different situation. What did it say? It's exactly what the Bible says. What does Romans 12, 2 says? It says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This article said that the, 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 the way to diminish those feelings of rage, feelings of anger, feelings of frustration is to rethink, to reevaluate to think about it differently, to think about it from a different angle. Instead of being like, oh, my boss is such a this, my boss is such a that, then in that situation, to start thinking to yourself, you know what, I wonder what hard experience my boss had as a child that, that, that's, that's made him so bitter, that's made him so angry. Like, I, I wonder what this person's gone through that's contributed to this situation. Maybe he doesn't even know about God. Maybe he, maybe he thinks that, that we're just an accident. 
and that life has no meaning and life has no purpose, I'd probably be angry too. You know, that if you rethink and you reevaluate, the Greek word for repent, and the Bible's written in Greek for those of you who are, you know, maybe are new to church or whatever. <clears throat> new Testament was written in Greek, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Anyways, the word repent actually means to change your mind. To change your mind, the renewing of your mind. Don't ventilate, reevaluate. Maybe you could talk with somebody, but talk about it constructively. Like, hey, I got this problem. Would you help me think about it from a different angle? Would you help me think about it from a different perspective? Would you help me, like, think about it in the right way? Uh, um, you know, I, th- I think that uh, kind of an example of this that, that I could just see from real life so much is, is you know, I was a skateboarder. And, uh, you know, you'd be trying this trick. And you'd be, like, falling, like, falling on your body over and over again. Just over and over again. Bailing, bailing, bailing. And eventually, what do you do? You get up and you snap your deck. And it shatters in half. But it's like, bro... Like, not only did you miss the trick, now you're out 60 bucks for a deck. <laughs> it's like the ventilating just made it worse. And not only are you like not a good skater anymore, but now you've got like a rage hall problem and you're broke. You've got problems all over the place. It, the ventilating didn't make it better. It made it worse. And I think that's, that's true with all suffering in life. You know, the biblical view of reality is so insanely realistic. Because if you have the biblical view of reality, what do you believe? That we live in this fallen world, that you should expect pain. Jesus said, in the world you will have troubles. That's pretty realistic. You know, frustration is the gap between what you expect and what you experience. Frustration is the gap between what you expect and what you experience. We should expect that there's going to be trouble. We're in a rebel world that's fallen, that's plagued with disease and death and sin and selfishness and wickedness and that it's at war with God. We should expect that there's going to be suffering. We should expect it. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. When you expect that there's going to be problems, but you know that there's hope in the midst of that, that God is reversing the curse, that Jesus Christ inaugurated this search party that's going to go on, search people out, transform them, flip them, to be partners with him in the restoration of all things, that one day Jesus is going to return, that he's going to set the world right, that we can expect that there's going to be problems, but we can know that there's an ultimate solution. His name's Jesus Christ. It's a very, very realistic view of the world that isn't empty optimism, but it's real hope. See, Christian hope isn't empty optimism. It's a calm confidence about what's to come based upon what's already been done. If Jesus came once, then he'll come again. If he made good on his word the first time, he'll make good on his word the second time. If Jesus got back from the dead, then we can rise up from whatever suffering, whatever problems we are. That's what we have in Jesus. That's the hope that we have ahead of us. You know, if if an animal, like a tiger or something, like breaks its leg, maybe it's like a small hairline fracture, oftentimes they'll be so angry and they'll be thrashing around that they turn a hairline fracture into a compound fracture. So it's almost impossible. And that's what complaining is like. Yes, you have a legitimate problem. You got a hairline fracture. That's, that's not good. But as you thrash around and get angry and get mad, you know, you're going to turn that hairline fracture into a compound fracture. It's so much better just to acknowledge that there is a problem, but then to try to seek solutions and know that there's ultimate hope. Martin Lloyd-Jones was an English preacher, and he was actually a medical doctor before he went on into the ministry. He's a really great preacher, but he said this. I love this quote. 
said this, most of our unhappiness in life is due to listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. Isn't that interesting? That most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we listen to ourselves instead of talk to ourselves. I want to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I told you this, and, and, and I don't articulate this like for the purpose of like being manipulative or complaining or anything. I do this just, just because I feel, feel like sometimes vulnerability gives you credibility, you know? And so last year, I, we can leave that up on the screen, I went through a serious depression. I actually had a doctor tell me I was clinically depressed last year because of just the exhaustion of trying to launch this thing. I could relate with Paul, like being poured out as a drink offering on, on, the, on, the, on the faith of others. Like I could relate with that. And, uh, and, but you know what I started doing? I had some people rally around me. I had a crew. I had people there for me. I kind of expected it. Like I saw it coming even when I was living in Albuquerque. I was like, I'm probably going to move up there and it's probably, I'm probably going to go through some stuff, man. Like it's probably going to happen. In this world, you have tribulation. I expected it. You know, I went through it. I had some guys who rallied around me, people who came alongside of me. This verse helped me so much. Psalm 27, 13 to 14 said this, I would have lost heart. Think about that. I would have lost heart. That's like losing everything. Just lost heart. I don't even have the will to live. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The commentators say that David's talking to himself here. He's talking to himself. He's speaking to himself. He's telling himself, hey, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He's speaking to his own heart. He's not just listening to whatever random thoughts get thrown up in his mind because of the weather and because of what he ate and because of how hard he's been working. No, he speaks to his heart. See, if you don't take heart, you will lose heart. If you don't actively choose to take heart, you will lose heart. You know, I was at a place, honestly, I'm being very real because I feel like it's going to help some people. I was at a place where it was excruciating just to be alive. Like just being alive was excruciating pain. I wake up and the thoughts would just be churning in my mind, churning in my mind, churning in my mind. But you know what? I got a squad around me. I got some guys who are helping me. And I started speaking to my heart instead of listening to my heart. Because my heart could tell me some crazy things, some ridiculous things. Maybe you could relate to that. It could tell me some really crazy things. But I started speaking to my heart instead of, instead of listening to my heart. I, I started filling my heart instead of following my heart. You can choose what you're going to put in. When you get into that situation, you put on some worship music. If it doesn't, if it doesn't help at first, do it more. Because the synapses that you fire are the synapses that you wire. If you read the Bible, oh, this feels like dirt. This feels like dust. I don't even like reading the Bible. You probably need it the most then. Because the synapses that you fire are the synapses that you wire. Keep reading. I would, I would tell myself probably 8,000 times a day, I would tell myself this. I'd say, I feel like this now. I won't feel like this forever. I feel like this now. I won't feel like this forever. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He'll strengthen your heart. Hey, guess what? I got through it. I came over it. I came out of it stronger, better than before. I came out of more rip-roaring, ready to reach people. People had rallied around it. The pain had produced something. And, and I didn't make a permanent decision based on some temporary emotions. 
Because that's what a lot of people do in our culture and in this town. Suicide rates are skyrocketing in the United States, particularly among, among people in our demographic. Mid, like between uh, you know, 20s and 40s, suicide rates are skyrocketing. But you know what? Speak to your heart instead of following your heart. Fill your heart instead of following your heart. I've had good moments. I'm going to have more. I'm going to keep going. I've had, I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I've seen it before. I'm going to see it again. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And you know what? I kept going. And here we are. Hey, it's good. You can do that too. Somebody needed to hear that. Somebody needed to hear that. All right, next thing is this. Complaining will black out your calling. Complaining will black out your calling. Let's read verse 14 again. Do everything without complaining or arguing, that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them as stars. Do you realize that if you are a Christian, you have a calling That if you are a Christian, you have a purpose. There are people only you can reach. There are things only you can accomplish. There are lives that you are meant to touch. You have a reason to live for. Jesus has good works laid out beforehand that you should walk in them. You know that complaining, it'll dim your star. It'll extinguish that. You can't win people to the light if you're looking in every single corner to point out the darkness. You can't win people to the light if at every opportunity you're like, I'm going to talk about the darkness. Oh, you know, not enough people showed up for work today. I'm going to talk about it. Oh, not enough people came for setup. Oh, my back hurts from this. My back hurts. It's like, dude, that's not going to win anybody to the light. In this world, you have trouble. That's going to happen. But be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. Pointing out to the darkness isn't going to win anybody to the light. Complaining will black out your calling. Harvard did a study that said that 85% of hires are based on attitude alone. Can you believe that? 85%. The reason why that other guy got the job, somebody else didn't, is because they had a bad attitude and the other guy had a better attitude. And maybe the guy faked it in the interview, but here's the truth. If you, can, if you can pretend, like, you know, have a good attitude and take control of yourself for the interview, then do it by faith every day after the interview. Don't do it because it's fake. Do it by faith. Do it by faith. Change your attitude. It'll change your world. Change your attitude. It'll change your world. You know, you know what, how you get hired? You know how you will shoot to the top of every company? You'll be like Joseph. Joseph who was in human exploitation. Real slavery. Not cartoon slavery. Real slavery. Egyptian slavery. Like, like the, the most denigrating, horrible condition. Human trafficking in this kind of a situation. But want to know what happened to Joseph? Because he trusted the Lord, because he believed the Lord was with him, because he had a good attitude, he shot to the top of every organization he was ever a part of. He shot to the top of every organization that he was ever a part of. Um, We've got to be a little bit like MC Hammer. Like, you got a problem? You, I'll solve it. Kick it out while my DJ revolves it. Like, that's how you got to roll into work every day. Like, somebody's going to come to you with problems, but hey. You, you, you got a problem, you'll all solve it. Like, that's the kind of attitude that goes places. If I asked most of you, if you had, like, some kind of a dream, and 
if you build your life just upon your career, build your life upon your dreams, you will eventually be disappointed because if you build your life on something that can be taken away, it's just a matter of time until you feel like taking your own life. But, but if I asked you, if you like, hey, don't you want to like run a company one day? You'd be like, yeah. Hey, like, wouldn't it be awesome if you directed your own movie one day? You'd be like, heck yeah. Wouldn't it be so cool if you, if you had a big successful band one day? You'd be like, oh yeah. Wouldn't you like to be like a leader in this church one day and, and, and be just taking names and, and seeing people reach and, and thousands of people come to Christ? Oh yeah, like I'd love to be a leader in a church one day. If I asked you, if I asked you that, all of you would probably say yes about something, okay, something. But here's the deal. If you complain about your current responsibilities, why would anybody ever give you more important responsibilities? If you complain about your current responsibilities, why would anybody ever give you more important responsibilities? Um, A smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. And something that's helped me so much that came out of that depression that I went through was this realization. That the obstacles that take something from you are actually adding something to you. That the hard experiences are making you an experienced person. Think about it. The hard, like, like, how do you be the guy who can handle these gigantic problems and, and, and negotiate deals and do all this? Because the hard experience has made you an experienced person. The problems you are having today are expanding your capacity for tomorrow. The problems you're having, and that's includes in your marriage, that includes in your wife. Hey, if you learn how to, how to deal with your wife's problems, or your husband's problems, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your sister, your brother, you know what? That's actually going to give you skills that you can use in other parts of your life. It's going to add to your character. The problems you're facing today are expanding your capacity for tomorrow. Every crisis can add something to your character. And you may have a legitimate problem, of course you do. There's legitimate problems everywhere. There's always going to be problems. But complaining about it just makes it harder to solve. That ain't just my opinion. That ain't just the psychologist's opinion. It is their opinion. This is God's word. You may have a legitimate problem, but complaining about it just makes it harder to solve. Don't ignore problems. Seek solutions. Don't ignore problems, seek solutions. Don't ignore problems, seek solutions. Don't agonize, strategize. Don't agonize, strategize. And if there's a problem that's unsolvable, well, then move on to something. Focus your attention, redirect your attention onto something that is solvable. Do that. It'll change your world. You'll become indispensable. You'll rise to the top of any organization that you're a part of. But you know what? We are, we are called in Jesus to be problem solvers not, not fault finders. Complaining makes you complacent. It's like a black hole. It'll suck your motivation. It'll suck your motivation. Complaining makes you complacent. It makes you less motivated for the next problem. It makes you ne- next, less motivated for the next issue, less motivated for the next thing. You know, how, how, do, how do you get out of this black hole? Maybe you're in one today. Maybe you got people around you who are like a black hole and you go to work and these people just suck the life out of you and you're in your family and this person just sucks the life out of you and they're always negative. How do you fortify yourself against critical, uh, bitter, unhappy people? More than that, how do you help people who are black holes like that? Hey, Paul gives us the solution and he's not just some weird guy. He's a guy who was in a dungeon writing this. 
He was a guy who was living it out. Wonder what he says? He gives us the secret in verse 16. He says, as you hold firmly to the word of life. As you hold firmly to the word of life. As you hold firmly to the word of life. As you hold firmly to the word of life. That's how you do it. But you know, he actually does a double entendre here, and not in the sexual way. Sorry about that. That's a weird word. The word double entendre is a double entendre, because it can mean the one that's weird and the one that's just a double meaning. Anyhow, but Philippians 2, 16 says this. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold forth. The word hold that he uses there means actually holding onto it yourself and extending it to others. As you hold forth, as you offer others the word of life. You know, uh, Laura Tong, psychologist, said this. And the people who complain the most are typically the people with the lowest self-esteem. They're typically the people with the biggest inferiority complexes. And, the, and that the people who are, who are complaining at your workplace, that a lot of times they just, they feel so bad on the inside, they just want to point out bad things on the outside to like make themselves feel a little better. And doesn't that help you Ventil- reevaluate instead of ventilate? You know, doesn't that help you like change your perspective about it? What do you do about that? Well, I'll tell you this. What thing can you look to in life that will neither give you a superiority complex or an inferiority complex? Where in the world can you draw your identity from in a way that it won't give you a superiority complex or an inferiority complex? What, what could possibly be the light of your life that will give you that potential to be this beaming light that never dims, that never darkens. I'll tell you what, if the light of your life is something as fragile as your sales figures, as your social media following, as your relationship status, as your stocks in your bonds, that is an incredibly dim, easily extinguished light. And it just takes one person to come... Blow it out. Oh, that guy got hired. And of course you're going to have something to complain about. If the light of your life is something that can be snuffed out just by somebody getting hired who's better than you, if the light of your life is just somebody else can have a better girlfriend than you, a better, a better guy getting more swipes right on their, on their account, if the, if, the, if the security, the light of your life is something that fragile, it's just a matter of time till you go into the cold, dark night. But if the light of your life is the love of God, if the light of your life is something where he doesn't love you based on who you are, he loves you because of who he is. If if the light of your life, the center of your existence, is is something that that isn't, isn't based upon performance, but it's based completely upon grace, then guess what? That can be bright enough to not only sustain you, but it's something that you can offer to others. You can offer it to other people. And I know you can't always be talking about Jesus at work, but your uplifting attitude, your compassionate attitude, your kind attitude will make you so bright that when the chance comes to talk about it, people will want to hear. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week is how to bring up the message of Jesus without sounding like a freaking weirdo. Doesn't that sound good? That's what we're talking about next week. All right, final point this morning is this. If the plan is to look like Jesus, then every problem has a purpose. 
If the plan is to look like Jesus, then every problem has a purpose. Plans get screwed up all the time. (laughs) That's usually when we complain. It's like, traffic, that was not a part of the plan. Oh, that better looking guy coming hanging around my job, that was not a part of the plan. Ooh, this girl who, you know, is, is better at selling stuff than I am. I didn't see that one coming, you know. So what do you do? You complain. It wasn't part of your plan. But what does Paul say in verse 17? He says this. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering. What are you saying? Is he's like, if I have to die for your faith, if I have to lay it all on the line, I'm going to rejoice. And you should rejoice with me. Oh, my gosh. What on earth, what plan is he a part of that's working so well? Well, here's the deal. Do you realize you know Jesus because of Paul's pain? You know Jesus because of Paul's pain. If he never been chained down, he never would have made the time to write it down. Want to know what he did in that dungeon? He didn't sit there and go, you know, this smells like poop, and those rats over there, and that guy over there is crazy, and he's probably going to kill me at night when I go to sleep. You know what Paul did instead? He said, you know what? I got, like, locked up. I'm going to write me some letters. 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 Little did he know that 2017 years later, across the globe in Portland, Oregon, people would be being helped because of his pain. Him getting chained down gave him the chance to write it down. And that's how Jesus always rolls. The thing that you're complaining about might be the very thing God intends to use as your platform. The thing you're complaining about might be the very thing that God intends to use as your platform. How is that possible? How could that be? How could God ever use this problem? I'll let you know this. To the people who watched Jesus be crucified, It did not look like the salvation of the world. It looked like the end of the world. But little did they know. That's how God always rolls. And if it's true with Jesus' pain, and if it's true with Paul's pain, it's true with your pain. I saw it true with my pain last year. If you look to Jesus, he's the only one, he's the light of the world who entered into your black hole so that he could pull you out of that black hole. Jesus suffered alone so that you would never be left alone in your suffering. Jesus' purpose was pain. That's why he was born. It was born for pain. But his purpose was pain so that your pain, my pain, could have a purpose. Would you stand up to your feet? Because if we look to Jesus, we're going to look like Jesus. If we look to Jesus, we're going to look like Jesus. Make him the light of your life. Make him the extinguishable, unextinguishable center of your world. And it will have such gravitational force, you can pull people out of black holes. Would you sing this out with me right now?